I will never write a single line which I have not first felt in my own heart. He'll teach you everything! Truer words were never spoken. All right. Language and writing were made available. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. I've got something a little bit special for you today. So this is John Helps You Write Better, and I am John. And let's talk about a $0 way to grow your audience, no matter at what stage of writing you're at. How this came about? Well, I uh, I opened my inbox and was inundated with loads of different people on loads of different platforms, Substack, Medium, Beehive, Ghost, um, one podcast with a very special link. Um, I was inundated with all these different entrepreneurs, big giant air quotes there, entrepreneurs uh, selling me on the idea of how they, they, they created this system. They have this software, not an affiliate link, like they straight up have software or they have recommendations and a guidebook or, or they have, you know, private, you know, group think sessions or something. And it, it costs a ton of money like a ridiculous amount of money per month. And it's one of those cases, and I know this happens to new writers, where if you had that kind of money per month, you probably wouldn't need that kind of material. But I'm looking at these things, and I'm skimming through, and I'm reading, and they're, they're, some are sales pitches. Some are straight up, like, cold call, hard sell sales pitches. Others are this really sort of circumnavigation of want and need like they're they're tap dancing around the idea of like hey pay me money and I'll teach you how to do a thing and it the, the problem for me is always this if your system is so good and and the money you, you're making money hand over fist why can't you mention any of it in an email why can't you give some part of it away why can't you give all of it away for free because it's so good, you shouldn't have to worry about the money. And if more people are doing this, well, shouldn't more people make more money? That way you can offer more products? Like, why not? Who's harmed in you hiding these, making giant air quotes again, big giant business big boy secrets? Like, why? Why not just talk about it? Why not just give this away? Why not just help somebody? And I understand that that is fundamentally in opposition to, like, the idea of capitalism and the idea of big giant air quotes entrepreneurship and it's really hard to crush it bro more air quotes i'm going to sprain my fingers doing that uh, it's hard to crush it bro when uh, we are constantly trying to tell you that we're an expert and you're not i hate all of that i can't stand it i think it's i think it's wasteful i think it's unethical i think it's unsound i think it's good business but bad personship so what I want to do today is teach you how to start an audience, teach you how to grow your audience, teach you how to get things moving consistently without having to resort to, you know, big giant weekly expenses. Now, I can't say for certain that this model has zero expenses forever. Eventually, you're going to reach a point where you're going to have to pay for something that's inescapable. But I think it's possible to get started and do well up to that point before the expense becomes real substantial. And hopefully by the time this the expense becomes substantial, you have some other stream of income coming in to offset it. Like you've got this money coming in and an equivalent amount of money going out. So you, you more or less balance out. It's okay if we want to skew positive, of course, but I don't want to put you in a position where you are throwing money out the window every month and it's not getting you anything other than like a sense of frustration. So today we're going to build an audience and we're going to build an audience independent of your level of writing. We are assuming you're writing a book. We are assuming you're writing something. I'm aiming this for my book people, maybe even my game people, but mostly the book people are going to benefit from this because they're the ones most frequently who need the help building an audience. It's not because they're bad people or their books are terrible. It's that there is so little concrete advice for them. 
my game friends know that you know there's a there's a particular strategy involved for marketing and you know bringing up your game and getting it crowdfunded and talking about it there's a podcast circuit there's loads of different things my screenwriting friends know all about breaking in there there's loads of different things here but when it comes to publishing whether it's traditional publishing or self publishing the direct information that's actionable is few and far between and everybody and their mother has like a, a uh, a mysterious, strange thing that you have to deal with first. And I, I, I don't want to do that. What I want to start with, though, is I want to make this point that if you are currently listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, well, John, I'm going to publish traditionally, so I don't need this. I'm telling you right now you're wrong. You're flat out wrong, and here's why you're wrong. Because that traditional publisher, that, that pimp, that agent you've been hunting down and you've got representation from, that the publisher you signed with, they're going to want you to bring your audience to the table. And they're going to estimate your sales expectations based on the size of your audience. And they've possibly made a decision to reject you or sign you based on your ability to bring consumers to your sale. So if you don't have an audience... They're not going to hand you one. They might lend you a little bit of their pre-existing audience, but don't count entirely on them you know, to do all that heavy lifting. That era has passed. And frankly, you're still going to need to know how to do this because going forward, you still have to market your book. There's, that's, that's kind of an inescapable thing at this level. Everybody's got to do this. So let's talk about how to do it in a constructive, productive way. First thing we're going to talk about is what's called an open or a closed group. Now, this refers to the people we are talking to, no matter the the space or what we are saying. And a closed group is a group of people that you are talking to about whatever you're making that doesn't have the opportunity to grow naturally or organically or without some like big action on your part. An example would be like a Discord community or a Facebook group. There's an invitation process or an invitation link that has to be given out towards new people as opposed to something more organic like somebody finding your website or seeing a tweet and clicking a link that way. A closed group is a group where the population doesn't grow on its own or doesn't have the potential to grow on its own, whereas an open group or an open avenue of communication is an avenue that doesn't have to worry about its closure. It's it's always there. Like uh, if Discord is our exa- or Facebook is examples are, are are my examples of a closed group, then an open group would be something like Twitter or a regular Facebook post or um, something more like TikTok, Instagram, something that goes out into the world and it, it, the algorithm allows for other people to interact with it. We want to try and balance between open and closed groups. And too many writers, particularly new writers, gravitate towards closed groups generally for the sake of safety and organization. People join writing discords and just sort of stay in that space. And for a time, that's great. You can get motivation there. You can maybe get a a decent, tolerable critique. You can have some friends. You can shit post. You can do a lot of stuff. But eventually, you're going to market your book to that group of people. And the number of new people coming in is usually really, really low relative to your ability to, say, put it out on, on a website or a blog post where an algorithm can pick up and distribute it. Don't get hung up, though. If, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, my God, all I have are closed groups, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fixable. It's manageable. Don't worry. But we need to keep an, an, eye, an eye on our open and closed groups, primarily because what we want to do is balance between the two. We're going to talk a lot about balancing between things because there's no way to really build an audience out of an imbalanced position. You can't come at this and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a million things. And then like when it, when it doesn't work because you've spread yourself too thin, it's, it's not... It's, it's only going to make you frustrated. It's, only, it's not going to bring you the results you want. A balanced, consistent approach is sort of the, the main thrust of what I'm talking about. If you can't do that, then we probably need to have a longer, more specific, and personal conversation about 
how it is you're thinking about engaging with the world to sell your work, if at all you're looking to sell your work. But by and large, our two like big things here are stability and consistency. So let's start with stability. What you're looking to do, no matter how you're marketing, whether we're talking about a pitch or a query or a blog post or a call to action or sales copy, whatever, what we're looking to do is create what's called a stable marketing environment. This is a lot of buzzwords, I know, but it basically means that you're talking about X, whatever it is, your book, your whatever, your product, you're talking about X and you are creating an atmosphere where we're only talking about X. You're not going to suddenly detour over here and start talking about Y and Z and Q and, oh, by the way, there's also this thing, and, oh, by the way, I also have that, and, oh, if you wait six months, I'll have this other thing too. Nope. One thing, one marketing, nice, stable, countable, organized stuff. The reason why we want stability is because we want to make sure that reader of the sales copy, the potential consumer, whether it's a pitch, sales copy, whatever, um, the potential consumer knows exactly what they're reading and what they're hoping to get out of it. And this is true whether we are directly selling, meaning we're going to have a link at the bottom. Hey, click my link, buy my book. Or whether we're just talking about like, hey, people, what's going on? How are you today? Let's all get on board and you know fist bump and move on with our day. All that stuff counts as audience building. All that stuff counts as kind of growing the consumer atmosphere. All right. Stability matters. The other element that matters is consistency. You have to come at this in a consistent way. And when I say consistent, I don't mean consistent in terms of like, I always do 15 posts or there's, there's you know, six segments in the day and I do a thing at each segment. Like there are different strategies to create a level of consistency that often lead to creative exhaustion because this is how you end up feeling like I'm doing so much marketing and so little writing. That's consistency that ultimately is imbalanced. And we, as we talked about, an imbalanced position is not a position you can maintain. This isn't like chess where we're looking to create or hold tension between pieces. This is where we are looking to give you the tools to talk about a thing, sell a thing, grow an audience for a thing. I'm using those ideas of grow an audience and sell a thing interchangeably because they are. And that's not because your audience is, you know, bad or wrong or there are a bunch of sheeple and, and we constantly have to like inveigle them or hook them or, you know, sell them a, a monorail in Springfield or anything like that. It's, it's more a matter of at any point in your audience, you should be able to create a call to action and encourage someone to click a link and make a sale or click a link and read a thing. That's the whole function of your audience, to engage with your material. And it is consistency that allows that material to be produced. We talk about consistency a lot in lots of different things like writing every day or writing on the regular or usual, you know, like daily blog posting or, or weekly TikToking or anything like that. Consistency matters not only because it, it sort of ticks invisible boxes in an algorithm, but also because it habituates you and it habituates the reader of whatever you're making to expect it, to have it done to do it. But this is where we get into trouble because so many authors, especially new authors, wonder what the best day is. I even see midlist authors asking this, well, what's the best day? Who gives a fuck what the best day is? It doesn't matter what the day of the week is, so long as there is a day of the week where we can produce this material. The algorithm for all its, whether we're talking about Twitter or Facebook or Amazon or whatever, the algorithm doesn't give a shit what day it is. The algorithm gives a shit about the number of interactions. And while it might track and say on X day, on Tuesday, let's say, <clears throat> excuse me, on Tuesday we had this many impressions and on Wednesday we had that many impressions, so adjust accordingly. It's because it's talking about 24-hour cycles, not specifically Wednesdays and not specifically Tuesdays. Those are projections humans are applying to the algorithm, I think, in a way to try and understand what is functionally un-understandable, not understandable. Like the algorithm is mysterious and stupid and, and it exists behind a curtain and smoke, so decoding some of it is tricky. It doesn't matter what day. There is no best day. 
there is a day where you produce and then there are days where you don't produce. And I want to I want to give you a strategy for that. So you can plug this in any number of days, any days. Let's talk about production day and flex day. Production day is the day you make something. It is the day you make something and whether you do it in batches like I'm going to record all 5 episodes of a thing in one day or whether you're going to do like two big things back to back or I'm going to write three blog posts or whether I'm just going to write one. The, the, the volume here is not an issue. Volume does not necessarily craft or create an audience right away. That's more of just about like being able to buy yourself some wiggle room and time if you want to get involved with other stuff. It doesn't like the audience doesn't know that you record two blog posts in a day or seven TikToks all at once. Like that's not what generates it. They only see the outcome. Your production day are the days where you make a thing. And you generally want to have one to two of these every week. They can be back to back. They can be your weekend. They can be, you know, um, spread out like a Monday and a Friday. You can space them out whenever. Doesn't matter. But you have to have, I think two is ideal. But let's let's be clear. I call it a production day, but I'm not saying it's going to take you 8, 12, 24 hours. It's just that's the day where we do the work. That's the time where we do the work. Now, that sometimes that might mean 15 minutes. Sometimes that might mean two hours. Sometimes that might mean 10 minutes. I don't know. It's entirely up to you based on what you're producing and how long it takes you to produce it. I will tell you that given enough time and given enough consistency, it becomes easier to produce things because you will be more comfortable with it. You'll be used to it. You'll be sharper at it. So... Maybe when you start off blogging or writing a newsletter or something, it took you, I'll make something up, two hours. But then all of a sudden, you know, two, two to three months in, it's taking you 90 minutes. And then, you know, three or four months after that, you're doing it in just a little bit over an hour. With enough practice, things become simpler. We know this. So we have our production days, two of them a week where you can sit down and you know what it is you have to do. Maybe because you've, you know, got a system and you've written it down. Every Monday I'm going to blog. Every Wednesday I'm going to record a thing. Every Friday I'm going to do, I'm going to check, I don't know, emails or something. Find your production days. And we're going to make them the big consistency. This is what we always do. This is how it always is. We don't necessarily change it. We don't look to drop it. We don't look to be like, eh, you know what, I'm not going to do it this week. Nope. It's that day of the week. This is what you do. Now, you can dovetail this with your writing day. So let's say, for instance, it takes you, I'll make something up, two hours to write your weekly newsletter. Okay. Why don't you use those two hours to write your weekly newsletter as the writing warm-up you swear you need in order to go write, you know, your next chapter of your book? And if you do it on the same day, let's say you do it on a Saturday, then if you start early in the morning, let's just make a time-up. Let's say you start at 8 o'clock in the morning and it's two hours to write the, uh, the newsletter. That's 8 to 10. And let's assume you take some breaks. So let's even be generous and say 11.30. And then you take a break because you should take breaks regularly, drink some water, stretch, all that good stuff. And then you can spend the rest of the day writing your chapter. And I understand that there's life and kids and this and that and the other, but this is more about consistent action. If we need to tailor the time, the time in my example is just example time. It doesn't mean you have to spend this many hours. It's just that that's how long it takes you. It might take you less time. But if we, if we partner our production days effectively so that maybe we're producing stuff on one day, you know, every Monday is newsletter day and every Tuesday is a writing day because you're off from work or you have free time or whatever, you're creating yourself a sense of structure that you can always stick to that allows you to be more, you know, actionable in what you accomplish. It means there's always a sense of here's what I know to do. And I can always do this, and the schedule doesn't just change on a whim. Consistency 
matters because as you produce and then as you schedule and release because maybe you write it and put it out the same day maybe you write it because it goes out later in the week maybe you're writing it so that it can go out the next day whatever production day does not necessarily have to be release day though sometimes it is but sometimes for some people it's not sometimes people write at the beginning of the week to release at the end of the week it's fine just have a production day Maybe more than one production day. One to two production days generally is enough for most people when they get started because they have all those other responsibilities of bills and a house and kids and this and that and the other thing or school or work or whatever. One to two production days is plenty. I understand that there's this urgency and this drive and this push to go faster and do more and get it done sooner so that you can give up the the day job and the stuff that sucks and you can just focus on the fun things. But we're not going to get there right away. Nobody starts there. We have to build to it. And this is how you build to it. Consistent production days. The other part of this, the flip side of this, are flex days. Flex days are additional production days that aren't as scheduled. So for instance, maybe you discover that you have time off or you have this extra time on a Sunday afternoon because it's not football season. And you decide rather than just kind of space out on Facebook or play a game or just kind of dick around with your friends having the same kind of boring conversations you always have every week or just staring off into space and and watching the same comfort Netflix series you've watched like a trajillion times. Why not turn that around in that same hour where, yes, I've seen this episode of the Great British Baking, you know, Great British Baking, whatever they're calling it now. I've seen this like five times. That lady wins. So rather than watch that again, how about we write something? How about we work on our newsletter? How about we, you know, make a decision about this, this work thing so that we don't, have, we don't have it hanging over our heads when it comes to our book this week? The, the utility of a flex day allows us to accomplish more things in a variable space, whether it's that extra 35 minutes we get while the dishes are running, whether it's the, you know, everybody else is asleep, we're up early, whether it's just a quiet afternoon, that, that wiggle room in our schedule we should take advantage of. Now, what I've talked about so far is pretty typical scheduling stuff. And there's no guarantee yet. I can't make a guarantee at all. But there's no guarantee that just because you have this many flex days and this many production days over the course of the week that the audience is just going to magically show up because the audience as a collective group does not give a shit if your big writing day is Tuesday. Like, we'll get them on the hook for that. We'll get them used to expecting that. But really, they're thinking about release day. Release day in our production day, flex day, release day format is the day the material, whatever it is, goes out to them. Some writers, or some, sorry, some coaches and some entrepreneurs will tell you that release day is the biggest thing of the week and you should plan to hype the hell out of it. You do not have to hype the hell out of it because we're not really trying to do this in a hype first way. We're doing this in a consistency first way. Don't sweat the hype. Don't think that, oh my God, I didn't tell everybody to expect this thing that no one's going to expect it because that's just going to freak you out dealing with a scarcity problem. Just aim for consistency. We'll get, we'll get the rest of the bells and whistles and all the ducks in a row in a second. Production day, flex day, release day. If it helps to figure out what's going on, set your release day first and then figure out working backwards from that day. Let's say your release day is Friday, just for the sake of our example. Figure out when you are most comfortable producing whatever you're producing for a Friday release. Maybe you can do it the same day. Sometimes I do that. But maybe it's better off doing all your stuff at the beginning of the week so that you can release at the end of the week. I do that 99% of the time. Aim for your release day because that's the day your audience interaction is going to be the greatest because they have something to interact with. Production, flex, release. Okay. So far, we have spent no money on this, but now it's time to talk about what what exactly are we doing on our production days, our flex days, and our release days? How do we engage with these people without you know cracking open our wallets? This is where things get pretty variable, but it's okay that it gets variable because we can manage variable. 
there's no one right way. There's no one right platform. There's no one best tool. There's no, like, use X, not Y and Z. There, there isn't. Everybody who's generally telling you there's use X, not Y and Z, probably has some kind of stake in you using X and not using Y and Z. And the other problem is a lot of these things, whether we're talking about Beehive or Substack or Ghost or this, that, or the other, they all functionally do the same thing. The, the particular bells and whistles might not be in the same place. We might be clicking different menus or layouts might look different with colors and fonts and stuff, but it's functionally the same thing. So rather than tell you like, oh, definitely use this. Oh, don't use that at all. Whatever you're using, let's just assume you're using it. There is a benefit in using it no matter what it is. And I want to walk through some of the more common sort of audience tools, no matter what they are and give you some pointers as to why we should be or not using them. And when I say use them or not using them, it's not because, oh, I favor this platform. It's because sometimes for some authors who write in a certain way and do a certain thing, some tools aren't going to apply, whereas other tools are going to apply. And again, we're talking about consistency and stability. And much like we had scheduled production days and flex days, my challenge to you here is to have a consistent single mode of engagement you always use and you're comfortable with and then one that's just outside your your comfort zone just beyond the point where you are happy where you're feeling a little bit lost and a little bit oh this is new I don't know if it's going well and while those things might be on the same site they are not functionally the same thing like don't have two newsletters but you want to make sure you are diversifying uh, in accordance with Wu-Tang philosophy, diversify your portfolio. You want to make sure you're diversifying primarily because you don't only want to have one avenue to engage people. One avenue is generally not enough. You can drive people to one location. Hey, everybody, come check out my website in every call to action. That's fine. But we don't only want to have one way to get them to see that link and get them to make that transaction happen. We want to have a number of ways. Get your stuff out in lots of different formats, lots of different places. One we're definitely comfortable with, one that's a little less comfortable and we're new with. Let's walk through a few of these. The big popular elephant in the room is the newsletter model. Now, the newsletter model works pretty straightforward. It is a long-form piece of text. That allows you to talk about any number of things. One thing, two things, ten things, thirty things, six things. Doesn't matter. It allows you to talk about stuff at length. The majority of newsletters are text, though you can include images of all different kinds. You can include video. You can include audio. The idea is that think of this as a big box of stuff. And you can put anything you want in this box, but we can always consistently expect delivery of this box. Platforms for this are everything from MailChimp to ConvertKit to Ghost to Substack to Beehive to any number of other newsletter writing things. One, again, is not better than the other. But the point of a newsletter is that it is primarily text dominant, meaning you're going to get more text than anything else. And if you wanted to use something like Spod, uh, Substack's uh, podcasting feature, then while that is a viable thing, it's not necessarily the best way to put out a podcast because there are other tools you can use that are easier, that are less cumbersome, that are more accessible, let's say. The, the point here is that whatever you're using, you've got things to say. Now, what sort of things can we talk about if we don't have a product? Newsletters are not necessarily limited to product sales. Product sale is the idea of, hi, I have a thing, buy my thing. You don't only have to use it for that. Loads of people do. Loads of people use it as a, what's called a push tool, which is the idea of, hey, here's my newsletter. Don't forget to sign up for this thing. Don't forget to try this thing. Don't forget to buy this thing. And it's, it's functionally all like an incentive to do something. It's all a call to action. After a while, that gets tedious as fuck. And we just sort of all glaze over past it. You don't only want to be doing this as strict call to actions. 
if you don't have the audience in place already, if the audience isn't already growing, if you don't already have something to kind of sit back on. When we're getting started, we don't only want to push, push, push towards clicking a thing, no matter how urgent or desperate we feel. What we want to do is use this box of stuff to encourage people to just become aware. Build awareness first, because from that awareness, we get audience sort of knowledge and, and, and sense and comfort, and it's easier to then transition to calls to action. If they don't know who the hell you are, why on earth would they be buying something from you? And the only way they're going to figure out who you are and what you're about and whether or not they're down for it is for you to engage with them somewhat consistently. And how you choose to cons you know, consistently engage with them is up to you. There are six customer types. By the way, if you're ever curious as to like what those six customer types are and everything, uh, if you jump over to johnhelpsyouwritebetter.substack.com, I walk through all that stuff because it is, I could easily do a separate podcast on each of them and it is hyper detailed. So it was easier for me to just put it all in text and stick it on Substack. That'll be out in two weeks, three weeks, three weeks. I'm looking at my calendar. Yay, production days. The point here with the newsletter is you can say whatever you want. It's okay to have a newsletter and talk about how you are making the things you are making and documenting the journey and, most critically, documenting how you feel about your steps in the journey. Because here's the thing. If you're new and you're trying to do a thing and you are talking to other people who are maybe also trying to do that thing, everybody's looking for those opportunities where they don't feel alone, where they don't feel unheard, where it isn't just, you know, somebody begging for money and saying, you know, gimme, 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 I want, I want your attention. But you're engaging with them in a way where they get to know you. That's, that's what we're going for. That's the point. Not straight call to action rush, just build a relationship. So talk about what you can. Talk about what you're interested in. Talk about stuff that's coming up. And maybe, yes, that means some newsletters are going to be hella short, whereas other newsletters down the road are going to be crazy long. That's fine. It's not about the length. It's about the consistency. Whether, I mean, it's okay if some newsletters are just, you know, like three paragraphs and I'm out the door. You have something to say. How did writing go this week? What are you worried about? What piece of material from publishing gossip do you want to talk about? What were your three favorite things? What music are you listening to? You can always find something to talk about to tell this audience, whomever they might be, hey, get to know me because I've got things coming. There's, there's irons in the fire. We're going to make a thing. Get on board now. It's about revealing some portions of yourself authentically to get someone else to come back and want more information. Newsletters are great for that because they're big and, and you can put anything you want in them. But for a lot of people, that's daunting. It's too much. Now, when I say too much, it's too much in terms of what it could be. And there's there's uh, decision paralysis. If, if you're looking at this and going, no, nah, I don't want to do that because it seems like too much work. Uh, I don't know how to tell you this politely, but GTFO, like go GT way the FO over there because um, this is work. This is our job and we're doing our job and we're not in the business of fucking around. We're in the business of like turning ourselves into people who can produce stuff and write better. So if you're looking at this and wondering what the shortcuts are, uh, I got none for you. We're rolling up our sleeves and we're going to work now. Please put on your, your big person pants and, and let's do it. If a newsletter is too much, though, what do I do? Everybody else is doing a newsletter. Oh, God, what, what, what am I going to do? Don't worry. There's plenty you can do. You can engage with shorter form content. Shorter form content can be anything from microblogging, like Twitter, to moderate length, mid form and short form content, like new Substack notes. This is, a, this is a chance where you can say things, not necessarily at great length, but again, you can use these tools to engage with some amount of people somehow, some way, somewhere. Even TikTok accounts as, as short form content, Instagram short form content, reels, the stuff like that. Because what you're looking to do is use the limitation of space to still be engaging. And the constraints and the boundaries of that space allow us to be more decisive 
and have something else to say. Only now, instead of a big giant newsletter where we can say six things, now we're picking like one thing and we're going into it for as much time and space as we are allotted, be it 280 characters on Twitter or some amount of reasonable digestible size in a Substack note. Or however many seconds a TikTok or an Instagram reel can be. What we're trying to do here with short form content, just like we were trying to do with long form content, was create a way for somebody who doesn't know you to get to know you. And again, there is always something to talk about. How the work is going, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, how you plan, how you outline, what how you make your decisions. Why are you doing this kind of story and not that kind of story? And if you're wondering why anybody on this planet would want to care about what it is you're talking about and why you, when they can go get, I'm making air quotes, better versions of the same advice from other people, please let me tell you that there are a number of legit, I'm making more air quotes, influencers out there who do things like rate different snack foods or eat their groceries in their car and they go on to be quite influential in a space making literally tens of thousands of dollars for just eating snacks. Like the the content consumption market in the dying civilization we exist in will accept anybody. You always can contribute to it. You can always be a part of it. It doesn't matter if you are a, a writer with no sales and no list and no publication credits because, you know, there's a there's a TikTok I am aware of where uh, a guy like just talks about home improvement hacks, like different ways to clean up this or do that. Or, oh, my God, I didn't realize I could, you know, cut the top off a bottle and turn it into a planter. Dumb shit like that gets just as much attention, if not more attention than somebody else who's taking, you know, profound 30 seconds to talk about how important it is to spay and neuter your pets. There's plenty of room at the table for you to pull up a chair and exist in this space. You always have something to say. Short-form content creates the idea that you are doing more than just vomiting out a wall of text. And you're not just doing that and then walking away. You're a human being engaging in lots of different ways, just like you have lots of different conversations about lots of different things with lots of different people. And some conversations with some people never cross the streams with other conversations. It's about making you appear, because you are, human. It's less intimidating than it sounds. You want to do this, the shorter your form of content, it's probably easier to say this, the shorter your form of content, the more frequently you can, and I would argue should, put something together. So... Those production days for short-form content can be the same production days for your long-form content. That's fine. But in your short-form content, because it's shorter, you might find that it doesn't take nearly as long to produce, so maybe you want to add an extra short-form production day to our schedule or a flex day to our schedule, i.e., oh, man, I don't have anything going on while I'm waiting to pick the kids up from school, so let me, let me just jump on Substack Notes real quick and write, like, two paragraphs about you know, that dumb bullshit I read on Twitter today. Why not? It doesn't ever take as long as we fear it does. Give it a try. The balance between long-form and short-form content is for every author to originally decide. Some people prefer long, so they go heavy on long, and they, they do more long than short. But again, remember, we're trying to do this in a way where we are looking at one platform of some size, one avenue of conversation where we are definitely comfortable and one where we are outside our comfort zone. That doesn't mean you need to have one long form where you're comfortable and one long form where you're out of your comfort zone or one short form comfort, one short form out of your comfort zone. You can do one long comfort and one short out of your comfort zone or vice versa or mix it up however you want. The point is we need at least two avenues for me, my comfort sweet spot is always in newsletter production, always in long form text, whether it's Substack, whether it's my regular newsletter. Those are my comfortable spaces because I have absolute control and a lot of length and I tend to ramble and roam. Maybe you've noticed. But the point is more critically that it's never just going to be on one thing, one tool to do all my growth. Never. Because 
ultimately, if that one tool were to stall, like let's say the, the website goes down, like uh, ConvertKit, which is what I use for my regular newsletter, is undergoing maintenance and it messes up my schedule or for whatever reason I miss my production window because other shit happens, then it, it kind of knocks over a whole st- stream of dominoes and I'm stuck kind of in a lurch wondering how to regrow things or if I, you know, lapse into a deep depression again and I end up not producing anything for a week to two weeks to three weeks to four months or whatever, what am I supposed to do? You want to make sure that the consistency has opportunity, that consistency, you're consistent and you're consistent lots of places because if my newsletter cools off, well, then maybe I want to switch to my short form content. Or if my short form content, where right now on Substack Notes, I am very much out of my depth because it feels a lot like I'm the kid in the Metallica t-shirt and torn jeans when everybody else is wearing suits. But I'm trying, I'm learning, I'm doing the best I can. And the reason why we want to have all these different avenues is so that we're no longer just doing one thing and then coasting. We want to be pushing, we want to be growing, we want to be challenging ourselves because in that challenge, we have an opportunity to be more of ourselves because we're not just sales robots cranking out calls to action. So if there's always something to say and we have long form and short form content and we can use this regularly, at least one to two times a week, and we can say whatever we want. Now, if we shift over, let's say we don't want to do long form text or short form text. What if we wanted to do audio? What if we wanted a podcast? Okay, totally fine with the podcast. Absolutely no problem with the podcast. You can do long form podcast. This, in fact, is a long form podcast as I'm looking at my timer and we're, what, just over 40 minutes. That's pretty long form. Long form in audio is considered anything over 30 minutes. Um, Long form and short form. Short form is anything under 30. Long form, anything over 30. And really, there's no ceiling. There are podcasts I listen to that are three hours long per episode because they're actual plays or because they are like hugely complicated narrative breakdowns. And then there's short form stuff that's maybe like 10, 15 minutes. Like what I normally produce on a given day is short form. But every once in a while, I will throw in a writer's chat or I'll throw in something like this where it's much longer and generally much more detailed. The assumption being the longer it gets, the more material you cover or the more detail you go into. But ultimately, always the goal is you're going to learn more and see more about the person doing the creating. Whether you podcast and go through something like Captivate, which is what I go through, or whether it's something else, any of the other bajillion number of podcasting hosting and podcasting distribution services you can produce whatever it is you like Uh, YouTube just put out a whole thing for podcasts Spotify swallowed up anchor to produce uh, its podcasting content there's loads of different options and there's loads of different things you can do for here's where our first expense rolls in whatever recording equipment you need you don't need top-of-the-line stuff you can do it with you know the headphones that come with your phone Yes, you're going to take a hit in sound quality, but that that doesn't necessarily have to be an impediment right up front. And if you're using that kind of thing just as an excuse not to do it, I'm going to question as to how serious you really are about doing it or if you're just letting the fear drive you. Yes, I started out with a, what is this, a $100? It's like an $89 microphone plugged into an old, now beat-up laptop, but I have since migrated to bigger, higher um more complicated stuff, but I got there in time through other stuff. You don't have to immediately jump and buy the big thing first. Just like when we look at something like our long-form newsletter stuff, you might be tempted to sign up for a big convert kit or a big MailChimp plan, and you don't need to. You can prorate it. You know, I'm spending $9 at ConvertKit because that, that affords me some amount of people that I can grow into. But for a very long time, I was doing the free plan. Nothing wrong with a free plan. It's just that I needed more bells and whistles because I wanted to do things with more bells and whistles, but I kept my cost low. You don't have to sign up for the big giant stuff first just to you know, buy yourself that cushion, that, that tech bro attitude of you know, rent a Lamborghini so that you condition your mind to see yourself in a Lamborghini is really more about creating some kind of debt to an automotive company so that you can rent the Lamborghini. And 
while it is nice to habituate yourself to finer things, there is no guarantee that without shifting your work focus, you will automatically get those finer things. Don't fall for that hype. Well, we have our recording equipment and we can record as regularly or as consistently as you like. But it's the consistency that breeds stability. If everybody knows to tune in every Friday because here come your thoughts on whatever. Or if they know to go wherever you get your pods and you can always find John Helps You Write Better, there's always something to do. Yes, every once in a while, you're going to miss a day for any number of reasons. You're sick. You forget to post. You click the wrong button on the scheduler. You, you, you don't have anything to talk about. While there is always something to talk about, you might not feel it one day. And that's fine. The problem comes in not when you skip a day, but when you end up skipping multiple days and you come up with more excuses to tell yourself about why you aren't producing. Long form, short form. Production, flex. Comfort zone, out of the comfort zone. Audio, text. What if you want to do video? Something like TikTok, something like YouTube. Same rules apply, only now we are looking a little bit less at length and more about overall production. You could totally pop on your little webcam and sit there in, in your hopefully cleaned bedroom or your clean office or a space that doesn't you know totally reveal that your cat has knocked over a laundry hamper or that you totally didn't vacuum or something. And you, you're sitting there and you're just talking. And it can feel weird. There's no, there's no way around that weirdness. You get used to it over time. Looking down the barrel of the camera, dealing with the anxiety, dealing with this, dealing with that. The, that, that gets better with time. It doesn't always provoke you know, huge panic, fight or flight instincts. You, you can cope with it. Just like talking into this microphone is really weird because I'm doing it in a, a room where I'm the only person... There are no cats. There's no other beings. It's just me, and I'm currently staring at the spilled laundry hamper on my floor. Like, I'm just talking. And that's fine. It's okay. I mean, I'm not really pleased about the laundry hamper, but that's beside the fact. You just, you get used to creating the habit. When you make the space for the thing and you put in that consistent effort, it becomes more routine to do the task. If these are the things we can do to grow, if these are the things and the tools we can use, how do we actually get the audience? That's always the question that is a stumbling block for me. Sure, I have all this stuff. I know what to do. But how do I get people to pay attention, to see it, to click it, to check me out? Two things you want to do. One, you want to make sure that periodically you are actually inviting people to do it. Just getting out there in the world and saying, here's what I think and then saying whatever you think and then trailing off is is nice, but that's no different than that weird guy you pass on the way to the subway or that strange person who's sort of in the lobby of your office talking to the ficus, and, and there's no real sense that you're allowed to or supposed to or encouraged to engage because this, this person is just lecturing over there in the corner. We don't want that. Make sure you periodically invite people to like, follow, and subscribe, leave reviews, click the bell for notifications, um, sign up for your newsletter, go to your website. Those things are all called calls to action. And the action is engaging with our material. Click the link, sign in the box, click the bell, all that stuff. You want to make sure you do that periodically because some people, in fact, more people than you probably realize, won't know that it's okay to do that without being prompted. And it takes very little time and effort to prompt them. It's not sleazy. It's not scammy. It's just part of the transactional nature of this. So step one, make sure you periodically invite people. And two, as part of that consistency and stability, you want to create an atmosphere that is not just one-way communication. One-way communication is me talking to you with no room for you to reply and nothing for you to say in response beyond a yes or a no or a uh-huh or I heard you or something like that. Think about every bad boss you've had or a parent speaking down to a child. That's one-way communication. It's me talking, you listening, you can't do anything about it. You don't necessarily always want two-way communication. That's where somebody jumps in because, oh my God, they just have something to say as a response. There are always going to be people like that. And you don't necessarily want to constantly cater to that, but you do want to create opportunity for somebody somewhere out there 
to say, hey, thanks. I agree with you. That's really cool. Thanks so much for saying that. Love what you do. Those little things like that are nice, small, little dopamine dosages that make a big difference. It might not lead beyond just me say a thing, somebody else replies. It might not spawn a greater conversation, but it's at least some level of engagement. And algorithms, for all their mystery and bullshit, do care about that kind of engagement. When somebody replies, and really this is the part where patience rolls into this because it takes time. And if you need help, you can always get help. There's the old standard practice of follow for follow. I follow you, you follow me. I reply to you, you reply to me. Sometimes you have to get that ball rolling and give it that kick of inertia. Like if you're on medium, let's say, to do your blogging, it is often helpful as part of just the medium culture to, if you like, if you want people to leave comments on your stuff, you leave comments on their stuff. If you want them to follow you, you follow them. This this climate of exchange, mutual exchange, is pretty common anywhere in long-form text. Less so in audio, but certainly in long-form and short-form text. This is how we create an audience. And then it's just a matter of providing that consistent output so that they have something they could possibly respond to should they be so moved. There's always something to say. There's always some way of framing it, phrasing it, and, and seeding it so that it creates a context that leads someone to reply. And then it just comes down to doing it consistently. And yes, somebody out there, given a combination of calls to action, given a combination of regular releases and stability, given that you are working from your comfort zone and then occasionally stepping out of your comfort zone to make sure you're not just working in a closed group, your audience will develop over time. And along the way, especially when you're starting out and you don't have anything to talk about along the way, you will eventually finish the things that you're trying to sell. And then we can transition to like pitching and selling that book. And the audience you've built, as small as it might be, lays the groundwork for growing the audience thereafter. But it starts with minimal expense. The only expense we're really spending is time, time and energy. And if you're having trouble generating either of those, the road gets tougher, but it's still doable. You just need to extend the timeline and give yourself more of a break because if it's harder for you, you can still get it done. It's just going to take longer. And that's not bad or wrong, and you shouldn't feel shame or guilt for that. It just takes longer, and that's fine. I've walked through about, oh God, nearly 50 minutes of the basics in audience building. If you ever want more examples or you want me to do a part two, please let me know. Write me an email, thewriternextdoor at gmail.com. John helps you write better at gmail.com. Uh, go to the website, johnhelpsyouwritebetter.com. You can still find me on Twitter uh, at awesome underscore John. If you can, you know, patreon.com slash John helps you write better. Find me. Leave me a note. Let me know what you liked and what you didn't like. It it makes a difference, not only to me, but it allows me to help produce the stuff that you want to know about and you want to hear. Thank you so much for checking this out. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for letting me kind of run long for 50 minutes. I appreciate that. I'll talk to you soon.